So lately I've been doing a little research into sheep. Frankly, I'm pretty unimpressed. <laughs> and I think maybe you'll be just as unimpressed as I am. Um, their behavior is, is, is something to wonder about. You know, a sheep eats a lot of grass. But they don't digest it well. So the only way a sheep can digest grass is if they lie down. But they're not smart enough to know that they have to lie down. So sometimes a shepherd has to make the sheep lie down. In, in addition to that, if sheep fall into moving water, because their coat is so heavy, it can actually just pull them right down <clears throat> to the bottom of the creek or the river or whatever it may be. Third... Sheep are born followers. Now, it's a little hard to see in this picture, but these men are standing in the middle of a valley of about 500 dead sheep. This happened in Turkey. One sheep jumped over the edge of a cliff, and because they're born followers, the rest of them jumped off the cliff, killed about 500, although it said an additional 1,100 jumped off, but they had something soft to fall on, so those sheep were able to walk away. Also, sheep have absolutely no defense against predators. If a predator comes and threatens the flock, <clears throat> they don't have any way to defend themselves. Not only do they not defend themselves, but instead of like just running away, they all just cluster up in the middle so the predators can just pick them off one by one. And also, some sheep, under circumstances, they get turned over on their back. And they've got bad circulation, and they depend on gravity to help them digest food. So if they get turned over on their back, if someone doesn't come and flip them back over again, then the blood rushes out of their limbs. Um, they can pass out. They can actually stop breathing eventually if the shepherd doesn't come and turn them back over. Now, this is hard to hear, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Because when I open up the pages of Scripture... Guess what you and I are compared to? We're compared to a sheep. <laughs> when Christ looked out at the people and he saw them, he saw us as poor and pitiful and helpless. Where would these sheep be if they didn't have a shepherd that loved them enough to call them out by name, give them direction? Show them what it was they were supposed to do to make himself known to them. You see, that's what God's word does. It gives direction to poor, pitiful, helpless sheep just like you and me. The only way these sheep have any chance is if they respond to the voice of the shepherd. So what I want to talk about this morning is responding to that voice. How do we respond to the voice of the shepherd? The passage I want to look at today comes from 1 Samuel chapter 3. We're going to see a young man responding for the first time to the call of God, to the voice, the word of the Lord that comes to him when he's in the temple. This young man, Samuel, who's there ministering the temple, is a young man receiving instruction from an older priest named Eli. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. 1 Samuel chapter 3, we'll read up to the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1. 
Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, Here I am. And ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down, and the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What is it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew. And the Lord was with him and let none, none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord, and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. You may be seated. We're continuing on this morning in the book of Samuel. People who are in a time of transition. <clears throat> After a, a long campaign in the land of Canaan, led by judges, there then came a time when there was no king in Israel. People were doing what was right in their own eyes. And God is bringing to Israel a king. They're, they, like us, are seeing great change in the country they live in. And they, like us, may be seeing a lot more change to come. Them, definitely. Us, possibly. So trusting God in times of transition is the main theme in this book of 1 Samuel. This morning I want to approach our topic this way. 
One, we'll see that God's word is certain. What God says would happen in Eli's family is going to happen. God's word calls. Third, God's word transforms. And finally, we'll talk about how do I respond to the word of God. Three uh, actions that we need to take as we receive the word of God. So let's step into this first point that God's word is certain. I want to start with verses 11 through 14, coming down a little bit. And, and when I say God's word is, is certain, what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is what God says is going to happen, happens. And look again at verses 11 through 14. Then the, word, then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end, and I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So God's word to Samuel spoke doom to Eli. God was going to punish Eli and his family. Now, they had been messing up the sacrifices. Last week we saw what Hophni and Phinehas were doing, these sons of Eli. Not only were they taking for themselves parts of the sacrifice they weren't supposed to, they were sleeping with the women who were working in the temple. And it was, it was almost like pagan worship was going on. And Eli, under the law, should have put them to death. Not only did he not put them to death, he was also committing some of the sins that they were as far as taking more of the sacrifice for himself that he should have. So God says, I'm going to punish his house. Now, his house is a reference to Eli and those who would come after him. Him and his offspring are going to be punished for this. It's important to point out that when a prophet, as Samuel is functioning here now, makes a pronouncement of doom like this, that there is with it an implied opportunity for repentance. God may change his course if people repent. We see this in the book of Jonah. In Jonah, it says, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now notice, nowhere in there does it say, unless the people repent. It doesn't say that. However, if you go on in the book, it continues. This is what the king of Nineveh said to his people based on what Jonah had said. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So there is an implied sense of repentance. If people repent, God will relent the doom that was pronounced by the prophet. But even with this, even with this possibility of repentance, what God says will happen will happen. There's some 2,500 prophecies in the scriptures. 2,000 of those have been fulfilled to the word. Everything that God says is going to happen, and at some point in our future, it's going to happen. At some point in our future, God is going to judge man for all of his sins. 
However, there's still an opportunity for repentance. By the way, if you're here this morning and you're unsure of what your standing is before God, I'm going to invite you at the end of the service to come up and talk to me about that. Because God's word says that he will judge the sins of man. The only way you can escape that judgment is through trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And again, if you're unsure where you stand with God, please, please come talk to me after the service. We'll have a time of prayer. And let's make certain of what we believe. So God's word is certain. What he says is going to happen is going to happen. It's going to happen in Eli's house. And God's word is not only certain, but it also calls. God's word calls us. God's word calls us both to service and to relationship. Both of those things. And what do I mean by that? Look at chapter 3, uh, verses uh, 9 and 10. Going back a little bit. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. If he calls you, speaking of the Lord, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling at other, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Now, notice that Samuel at this point is totally reliant on Eli. He's not familiar with the, with the voice of God. He, he obviously heard something audible. He thought it was someone else talking to him. He goes and checks with Eli. Eli says, well, this may be God speaking to you. So he's patiently instructing him. However, these roles are going to reverse by the time you get down to verses 17 and 18. Look at these verses. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Don't hide it from me. May God do to you. And more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you, it's strange that he's threatening this young man. And the young man is trying to shield him, although that's not going to happen. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Now the roles have reversed. Now Eli is dependent on Samuel to know what's going on. Samuel has an entirely new role. He's in a new relationship with God. He's, he's serving God in a completely new way. See, this is what happens when God's call goes out. And it still goes out today. But when we talk about calling, many people will isolate it to a vocation. If you ask if you ask me, Chad, what is your calling? Most of you would expect me to say, well, it's to preach, it's to be a pastor. But see, I'm not just a pastor. I'm also a husband. I'm also a father. And when we answer God's call, He doesn't just want your career. He wants everything. There's nothing that you leave behind your entire future when that call goes out to you, which, by the way, is the gospel, when it goes out to you, when you hear what it is that God did for you and he invites you to respond in faith, he gets it all, every bit. He calls us into a relationship and into service. He calls us into a parent child kind of relationship. He's our father in heaven. We gain a, a family that's brought together by the Holy Spirit. Other Christians are our brothers and sisters. 
and then we grow. The growth of the Christian is that we are being conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And by the way, there is nothing greater or more fulfilling or more exciting in this life than to be in service to God. Look at the life of Samuel. He had the privilege, after the Lord had been silent for a long time, of being God's mouthpiece to the people of Israel. Give it all to God. Whatever you may be hanging on to from your past life before you became a believer, let go. Whatever sin you believe is bringing you satisfaction, it's only keeping you from being all that God would have you to be. And by the grace of God, He is conforming us. We are cooperating with the Holy Spirit as we grow in Christ. So God's Word is certain. God's Word calls us. <clears throat> and God's Word transforms us. Take a look at verses 19 through 21. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So such is the power of God that he transformed Samuel from a priest to a prophet. So we've been talking about prophets for a while now. I think it would do good for us to just take a brief look at a, a definition of a prophet or a prophetess. There were female prophets. It's a man or woman chosen by God to speak for him and to foretell events in the divine plan. This was the work of the prophet, to let the people know what it was God was going to do next. This is what Samuel was called to. This is what he was transformed into. A priest would be about doing certain tasks that they were instructed to do. However, the prophet had the privilege of receiving direct revelation from the Lord and conveying it to the people. So that was the role of the prophet. It was the spoken word of God that still transforms us today. We're still transformed by the word of God. See, when God speaks things happen. It's different than when you and I speak. As a matter of fact, Tim Keller does a good job of explaining it this way. Uh, we, we humans say, let there be light in this room, but first we have to make sure the room has been properly wired. We have to walk across the room and flick on a light switch, or we've got to go to a cabinet and grab some matches and a candle. Our words need deeds to back them up and can fail to achieve their purposes. God's words, however, cannot fail their purposes because for God, speaking and acting are the same things. In other words, when God says, let there be light, you've got light. When Chad says, let there be light, he's got to walk across the room and flip on a light switch. So what does God tell us? And one of my very favorite verses in the New Testament is this. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God tells you he loves you and he actively loves you. He tells us he loves us in his word and he does it through his action. I don't know that there's anything actually more transforming 
and the love that God has for us. You know the most effective counselors out there are the ones who show unconditional love to their clients. Because that is the most healing thing that we can receive, is unconditional love. There's an author uh, named Mike Iaconelli. I've heard him speak a few times. And he talks about a uh, time in his life when he was traveling and traveling and traveling. He got stuck one time in San Francisco. And he was mad. He was irritated. So he called home, called his son, and uh, was telling him what was going on. And his dad said that, uh, or rather his son said, um, well, you've been traveling too much anyway, and that things like this are going to happen. Well, he said he didn't appreciate it. He said, as a matter of fact, it ticked him off. And he said, well, let me speak to your son, his grandson that was two years old at the time. And he said, I forgot that when you're two, you can't talk, and you're 60, you can't hear. That's not a good combination. And he said his grandson was just mumbling on the phone, and he's hoping this is going to make him feel better about where he's stuck. But instead, he says it's making him feel worse. Finally, he said he'd had it. He heard the phone drop on the floor. Then he heard the kids playing. And here he's stuck at the airport. Doesn't seem like there's anybody on the other end of the line. He says he's miserable. He's furious. He's angry. Then all of a sudden, in a crystal clear tone over the phone, he hears, I love you, Grandpa. He said, you know what? All my anxiety, everything went out the window. He said, there are people who are so busy, they're at their wit's end. If they only stopped for, a moment, for a, a, a moment, they could hear the God of the universe say to them, I love you. So see, this is what the Bible is. You know, when Melissa and I first started dating each other, uh, we'd known each other a couple of years, and, and then all of a sudden it just kind of hit. We were, we were dating. We went on our first date at Starbucks, and I just laid it all out. I told her exactly how I felt about her. First date. I just couldn't help myself. I didn't know what she was going to say. Fortunately, she reciprocated and said she felt the same way, and man, I was head over heels. I was in love. And then what did we do? We started sending these emails back and forth to each other. Have, have you ever experienced this? You know. You're young, you're falling in love, and you read those emails and messages, and you're just wringing every bit of meaning out of every word that's on the page. <laughs> you see, those were love letters, and the Word of God, the Bible, is His love letter to us. The Bible is God making Himself known to us, and He's letting us know the depth of His love for us, that neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. I don't know what kind of pit of despair that you may be here in this morning, what kind of misery you may be feeling, but God's love is there with you. And He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. Ultimately, He'll bring you home to be with Himself. God calls us to service and relationship. And he transforms us with nothing less than his own love for us, working through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. How then do I respond to the Word of God? How do I respond to the Word of God? I'm going to suggest three actions of response you could say here. The first one is to study the Word of God. Now, I thought about a lot of words I could use there. 
Uh, I, I thought about using the word uh, listen. But when it comes to hearing from God, the scriptures are our primary source. I don't believe that the way God spoke to Samuel in the Old Testament is primarily how he speaks today. I get this from, this is from Hebrews 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. There seems to be a change, a shift. Christ came and he was superior to any prophet that came before him. Such that Christ seems to be the climactic ending of the prophets. Now, I'm always concerned when people say something to me along the lines of, well, God told me such and such. Be very careful when you say things like that. Are you elevating what you perceive maybe God has said to the level of Scripture itself? I realize that we receive guidance from the Holy Spirit, and He's mysteriously working in our lives. He's changing us. He's shaping us. But be careful when you make the claim God spoke to you. So study it. Study God's Word. Read it, yes, but read it to understand it. There's great one-year reading plans out there, but if it takes you more than a year, better to take longer than a year and understand what it's saying than just give it a glossary, than, than just sort of gloss it and, and not really understand what it is that it's saying. That may mean looking at a good commentary. I can suggest some to you if you're interested. But it does mean diving deeply. There's a there's a book uh, called Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus, and uh, it retells the story of a first century rabbi named Akiva. And one day as this rabbi Akiva was shepherding his flocks, he noticed a tiny stream was trickling down a hillside, dripping over a ledge on its way toward the river below. And below it was this massive boulder. And surprisingly, the rock, it had this deep impression where that drip drip, drip of water was coming down on top of it. And centuries after that dripping, it had hollowed this place inside that stone. And he commented and said, if mere water can do this to hard rock, how much more can God's word carve away into my flesh? He realized that if water had flowed over the rock all at once, the rock would have been unchanged. It was that slow and steady impact Year after year, little drop after little drop, that's what completely transformed the stone. It goes on to say, when I first started studying the Bible's Hebraic context, I wanted one commentary that would teach me everything. One class that would explain it all. If I could learn all the right answers in one marathon event, all the better. He says, I find now that God likes to reveal truth over many years as I study alongside others. I realize now that big splashes aren't usually God's way of doing things. Instead, through the slow drip of study and prayer day after day, year after year, he shapes us into what he wants us to be. So we study it. And I'm here to help you in any way I can to understand God's word, to learn it. And then secondly, we trust we trust. We trust in what God has to, to say to us. The scriptures themselves instruct us to believe all that's been written down. We see it in 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, 
and equipped for every good work. So the scriptures themselves, the word of God, are written for us. This is God's loving way of revealing himself to us, and we can trust what the scriptures say. And the existence of everything around us, by the way, is a testimony to God's spoken word doing what it says it will do. The planet we're standing on, the stars in the sky, God spoke and it was. In addition to this, the deaths of the apostles are one of the greatest testimonies to the truth of the Gospels. If these, if these apostles whom walked with Christ before he died, then walked with the resurrected Christ after he was made alive again, if they're willing to die with that, it's hard to believe that it would have all been a lie. It takes faith to trust in God, but you can't live life without this faith. No one knows everything. We are, we are forced to live by faith in this world. Trust God's word. And then finally, do. Do. As soon as Samuel understand who it was that was talking to him, he was faithful to do what God had commanded. Now notice he was scared, wasn't he? He was scared to do what God had told him to do. That's normal. If you feel scared to share the gospel, that's normal. There was a, a man by the name of Andres Thomas. And uh, this is the name officials gave a certain man decades ago. He was in a Russian psychiatric hospital. He'd been drafted into the army, but the authorities had uh, mistaken his native Hungarian language for gibberish. And they thought he was a lunatic, and they had him committed. Then they forgot about him. And for 53 years, this man lived in an asylum. But then, and this was fairly recently, a psychiatrist at the hospital began to realize what was happening, and he helped him recover the memories of who he was, where he'd come from. And then just recently, he got to return to his home of Budapest as a hero of World War II. Now, not only had this man forgotten his real name, he'd never even, he hadn't seen his own face in 50 years. So according to one news account, this is what he did. Hours. It said this old man studies his face in a mirror. The deep-set eyes, the gray stubble on his chin, the furrows of the brow. It is his face, but it's a startling revelation to him. Now, the reason I share that story is because of this. Imagine looking at your own face in a mirror and not recognizing it. Because in James 1, to 25, it says that, that that is just what people are doing when they listen to God's word, but they don't obey it. It's like they're looking at themselves in a mirror and they can't see themselves. Because right there in the scriptures is the most accurate reflection of yourself that you're going to find. If you ever wondering, well, who am I? Have you ever been on that quest for self as some have gone on? Look in the pages of the Bible. It will tell you who you are. No one understands this better than God. So, so do what the Bible says. He knows us. He gets us. He knows what's best for us. Do what the scriptures command us to do. So putting this all together, respond to God's word by studying it, trusting it, and doing what it says. And I want to close with this quote. This is from Dwight Moody. Uh, he said this, I prayed for faith and thought that someday faith would come down and strike me like lightning. 
but faith did not seem to come. One day I read in the 10th chapter of Romans, now faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I had closed my Bible and prayed for faith. I now opened my Bible and began to study, and faith has been growing ever since. So do not neglect the word of God. Study it, trust it, and then do what it says. Please pray with me. Lord, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that you've spoken to us. We are thankful that you have called us into both relationship and service. And Lord, I'm thankful for this example of this young man who heard your voice, who responded to it, and you led a nation through him. I pray that we wouldn't neglect the call that comes to us this morning from you, Almighty God, to put our faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ. I pray that we would not neglect to give every piece of ourselves to you. And God, I'm thankful that you conform us and turn us into people that we would never have been otherwise. Keep us safe till we can return together again. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.